0: But before we get there, there's some things I kind of want to talk about, but Greg left off on 17, so we'll be Exodus 22, 18, and we'll go into Exodus uh, 23 today. So a couple of things that I, I've been pondering and meditating on is I even consider this section of scripture. I know Greg talked about that, talked about it a little bit, but You know, we're reading through Exodus, and we're seeing the plagues, man. We're seeing God just take down, you know, Egypt. And you see, you know, these frogs and the gnats and all this stuff, and it's cool and it is entertaining right it's like the action part of the film and you're just like yes awesome look at what's happening then you see the Israelites uh, going through the parting of the Red Sea and like all oh, the waters collapsing over Pharaoh and you're like this is so cool like I used to, when I was a kid I think I told you this when my mom and dad made me read the Bible because they would make me sometimes like go read your Bible I would read the plagues and this story because it was just the most for me like entertaining Oh, uh, what's going on it's cool man I like that so I would read that, and then you see Israelite in the wilderness, and they're like hungry and thirsty, and God's providing. But there's interaction between them and God. And then we get to these commands, and it's kind of for sometimes like the genealogy, and it's like, oh man, let's just can we just skip past this and get back to the action? Has anyone ever admitted that would admit that they have felt like that before? <laughs> You're like, and then the the ch- one of the challenges with that is sometimes our theology comes in, and like you know we have said things like, yes, God has set us free from the law, we have a uh, a new law written on our hearts, and so we get to this part, and we go, well, there's no reason to even read it, right? Like, sometimes we take that, and though we might not say it, we just kind of chuck the whole OT, Old Testament, out there with it, because we have this new life in Christ, and so we get here, and so we don't know what to do with this, right? On the far other extreme, I have friends of mine that are Gentiles that say we should follow the whole law that God gives, the dietary restrictions, all these things. To them, I would say, well, there was a Jerusalem council and they didn't come up with the idea that you need to follow the whole law. And so we end up in this kind of, well, what do we do with this thing, right? Like, can we learn from it? Is there something that God is speaking to us? Can we learn about God and his character and about his heart and about this idea that God was using this to form a nation, what was Israel to be? A kingdom of priests to God, priests to God and, and minister to God and minister to this world to show the world what it looks like to be in a relationship and to bear the image of God that, hum- that humanity had at the beginning that we kind of rejected. But Israel as a people, not just an individual person, was as a people going to restore that image that God had created and show this to the world and invite the world to participate. This is what they're being called to. And the beautiful thing about this is, you know, we're seeing the shaping of what that practically like, looks like. Sometimes we're, we're, sometimes we just, God just practically show me this, you know. Sometimes things are in the abstract too much. Here's some real practical stuff right here that we can read. And I just pray that we would read this with open hearts to see what God and what his character is, is calling Israel, who he's calling them to be. I think we can grab that. I think that we can, as Greg's, uh, what do he read, Psalm 19? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving my soul. I think we can end today and feel revived. At, wow, I mean, think of some of the stuff Greg mentioned last week. <laughs> I mean, it was like, man, that's my God. That's awesome, man. I'm excited about who God is and what he was calling people of Israel to. I think we can finish today and be the same way and be like, man, just sit back in awe of who God is. I just love it. But I wanted to, as we read this today, I wanted to kind of bring us back to the scene of it. Uh, Lauren made mention of it. Like this scene that's taking place, it says there's smoke descending on this mountain. There's thunder and there's lightning. And it has the Israelites, like they're terrified, they're scared. But there's this reality that our God, as the song would say, is an awesome God. And I was driving in my car this week, and I was praying and just like listening to some things, and I felt like God was just sharing that sometimes things become so familiar that they lose the awe. You guys ever read things in Scripture? Or Ben, Ben was he went to um, North Carolina, remember? And he showed me the pictures of the mountains. And I believe he told me I wouldn't want to live there because I'd want to be in awe every time I go. When something becomes so familiar, you miss out on the beauty and the majesty and the depth. You know, some of us love going to the beach, but if we lived at the beach, we wouldn't recognize how awesome it is to watch the waves come in and just sit on the sand or do things like that. I went to when I did the uh, camp with the Chinese students in Oregon and Washington. It's so beautiful! The Columbia River Gorge is awesome, and the people who've lived their whole life don't recognize quite recognize, I don't think, the beauty. i would be like, this is so beautiful. This is so awesome. I'm like, yeah because they've seen it over and over. So as we get to this, I want us to remind us of the awesomeness of God, right? But see, the God that was the God of the thunder and the lightning and the clouds, next slide, please, is also the God that says, I bore you, Israel, on eagle's wings, and I'm drawing you to myself, right? Like this tender, caring God that says, I want you to be a people, my own people. In Hebrews, we also read that we haven't come to this mountain of lightning, thunder, and that we've come to angels and festival gatherings. I love just thinking of just sitting back in awe of the multifaceted, beautiful character of who God is. And we see all of this surrounding him sharing with Moses, hey Israel, here's how to be my called out people. Here's how to be that light. Here's how to where the nations can look at you and go and be in awe at your relationship with God. God. You see we're 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 all called to do the same right like we have to recognize that like we can read this and recognize but we are called to be that light to be that city to not let let out our light to where the nations can look and marvel and then decide they want to participate so let's look at um you're already there so no, go to the next slide I want to also remind us before we read of, Greg had mentioned last week about Romans uh, 10, I believe, where he's talking about Jew and Gentile relationships and, and he's talking about the law and all these different things and he makes this strong statement that says the end of the law is Christ. And do you guys remember him talking about that last week? About this purpose of what God has given, it all is summed up in Jesus. He even in that passage says, hey Israel, you are trying to achieve your own righteousness They were trying to do their own things to prove that they were good enough to stand before God. And he says, you can't do that. That the law was to shape Israel into God's image and also bring Israel to this place of recognition that they couldn't do it on their own. Without the spirit of God, which would be God's new law that he gives, it was impossible. In humanity, we have... The choice, whether to surrender to that or to continue to do things our own way. And Paul had reminded them, don't keep trying in your own strength. Surrender to what God is trying to do and mold and shape. And that's what God's doing. He's, this is the tutor of Israel, this law to mold and shape them into his image so that the nations can see what God actually looks like. That's why I think it's so beautiful. Next slide. So we're going to start in chapter 22, and we're going to go uh, start in verse eighteen. I'm not going to read verse by verse by verse, though. I will read some of these verses. What's up, Carolyn? What's up, y'all? How you doing? <clears throat> uh, I'm going to. Re- I'm not, I'll read some of these verses, but it would take forever to go through the law if we went verse by verse by verse. Um, I know some of y'all are like, "Yes, please, John. Let's not go verse by verse. We don't need to spend 12 weeks in the law." So we'll just look at these sections and what God is speaking and what God is saying. But again, remember, y'all, this is in light of God rescuing Israel and bringing them to this place of being this ambassador to the nations, of revealing who God is to the nations. And this is what he's bringing before them to live as governance for the people and how to reflect his character and his image. So verse 18, 19, and 20, I'm going to read 20. And start with this little section here when he says, whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. We've kind of heard this played already, right? There's some of these things that are played over and over. And we see the importance of the reality that Israel, if they are to show the world who God is, first and foremost, they cannot, as God has already said, have other gods. There's, an idea, there's this reality of who they bow down to is of immense importance to them locally and to others around them. And it's, this, it's absolutely the same for us. And I know we get to this place, and I've said this before, where it's so easy to go, well, I don't bow down to other gods. But do we? Are there other cultural gods? Are there things that, that, that we are? And here's the cool thing that I want us to get, that this is just so important. He is writing this to a people. He's not just writing it to individuals. So when we look at what God is telling Israel, he's not just telling them so that John King can obey it, but how I mean, how often do we see God say, and John, teach it to your kids, and speak of it to others as you go down the road. Like, when we begin to look at God's heart, and we just, separate we, we don't just look at it as me and John and I realize that this is a calling for us as a people then it puts responsibility on me not only to live out what God's called but to teach and to show others and to walk in it and to encourage and say Jerry Danielle hey let's do this and have them encourage me and us grow together and so this was a whole nation of people that were encouraged to encourage each other to not have gods other than God that would this is so foundational the whole thing would be skewed and jacked up if Israel allows other gods to come in. It's also why he says, Don't let a permit a female sorceress to live. We can't in our own strength try to cultivate our own power following demons, dark arts. We want to get to power, and oftentimes if we're going towards power and journeying with God, it's a long journey. Sometimes we want to short circuit that and just get it as fast as we can. And we see that God's like, hey, we're not doing that. Again, that's us trying to grab power as fast as we can and have this. We can't, we can't do that in our community. Go to the next slide, please. Another thing that's really interesting is verse 19. That seems out of place at first glance to me. Let me just say that. Whoever sleeps with an animal is not permitted to live. Until I meditated on and thought about, he's reminding not only of the importance of our relationship with God and how that's foundational and pivotal for this whole thing, but he's also reminding them who they are. See, we were created in the image of God, man and woman created in God's image. Now, God loves the animals, and there's going to be verses even about that today that we're going to see. But God's reminding them that these are really important for Israel as a nation to go forward. The place of where God is among his people and the reality that we were creating God's image and this is, that is degrading. It is degrading the image of God to participate. It's such the enemy, he does such a good job and our own flesh does such a good job of taking beautiful things that God gives us and just twisting them a little bit and then we, it gets all jacked up. And God is setting the proper alignment here. Whether we have gods of addiction or gods of power or gods of whatever that want to creep up and grab us, he's saying anyone who sacrifices that God, it's, it messes it up. It's, 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 it's going to derail when we become a nation of that, the truth of who God is. The whole point is to reveal God. Not to chase after others and let see the uh, nations see us that happening. Next slide. Another critical and pivotal point, in part of this nation. This is so beautiful to me, of this nation of God, uh, of people, is how you treat the most vulnerable in society. And I love this part of the character of God, because this is vitally important. Israel, you're to be a nation you're to be a nation of priests, you're to reflect my image, now you be very careful how you treat the people in society who's the most vulnerable. He mentions in this section of scripture, he mentions uh, the resident alien or immigrants or people who are passing through. He mentions widows, he mentions orphans, he mentions the poor. These are people that have been taken advantage of and to this day are taken advantage of all the time. Could you imagine, and some of you have experienced this, could you imagine being a widow Maybe you still have children. You have to replace an entire income. (laughs) Back then, you think they had million-dollar insurance policies? Pretty sure that didn't exist. So you are in this deeply vulnerable place of you're trying to pay bills, you're trying to keep your house, or you're trying to keep your land, you're trying to be able to provide for the family, you're trying to do these things, and there are people left and right who are very much willing to take advantage of you. I mean, you've even seen, have you ever even seen it today where there's a mother or a father that's left single and someone else kind of slides in and they probably shouldn't be dating that person and you can tell they're just kind of coming in and they're recognizing they're in a very vulnerable position and they end up getting into an awful marriage. Any, I don't know if anyone's ever seen that, but I definitely have. But it was because they were in a place of vulnerability. They just needed some kind of help. And sometimes you just cling to the first people that are willing to do something about it, Right? We read a couple weeks ago uh, in Mark when Jesus calls out the scribes and says, what does he say about them? What do they do to widows? They devoured widows' homes. Though we may not know exactly what that means, we know that they were exploiting them. They were taking that position of vulnerability and then, again, having to provide, and they acted like, man, they were the holy ones of God, and then they're sitting around going back exploiting widows? You look at this idea of a resident alien, and I thought about this uh, a lot this week. Have you all ever gone into a culture that you were just really woefully unfamiliar with? <laughs> you know, some of us has gone to countries where we don't know the language, and we're surrounded in this like, what's going on? Right? There's others that maybe it's just we're from the small town and going to the big city was uh, that's the closest thing that we can come up with or we're going from the big city to the small town if you've ever been in those situations you recognize how vulnerable you are you show up you don't know a language you're in a big city you're trying to get around how you can be cheated how you can be stolen from i mean the the, the opportunities are just plentiful for someone to take advantage of you think of abraham and sarah what does abraham do when he comes to abimelech he says Tell them that's my sister. Why? Because they might kill him. Like, this is the culture. This is a society. A nation. Nations of the world that are preying on the most vulnerable. And God says, absolutely not, Israel. He says, absolutely not. The poor. Don't become these creditors to the poor. They're already in trouble. Where do these uh, paycheck places pop up? In the poorest parts of town because they're taking advantage of people who are in vulnerable positions. This stuff happens day in and day out, but God's saying, my people, my nation will not do that. That this, to me, appears as a place of refuge and hostility for the most vulnerable, not a place where the other nations of the world would go and take advantage of that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? In church, have, are, are we embodying that, I would question I think that we, there's a lot of things that we're doing, and I love it, that we would, con- I just encourage us to continue on in that and continue to recognize that when he even mentions the resident alien, he goes back to the point. He says, you were aliens in Egypt. Don't forget where you came from. And he knew that this was going to be read for generation to generation to generation to generation. To generation. It's not so hard for them to forget now, but generations later, it's really easy to forget. Oh, what is it like? What is it like to be in bondage? What is it like to be in slavery? Well, that wasn't me. I wasn't part of that. How many times do we hear things like this? He's saying, "Don't forget it. Don't forget that you too have been in that vulnerable position, and that should change the way that you move forward." In fact, he's very strong in his language. In verse 24, "My wrath will burn; I will kill you and your children with a sword, and your wives and your widows." excuse me, your wife shall become widows and your children orphans. Like saying, if you don't take care of them, then that's what's gonna happen to you. Like, he was very strong. Just think about that, though. Think about how important that was to God. You think God wanted to do that? No. He's saying this is critical for being my people, is that you take care of the vulnerable. That you, man, I just love it. I could almost stop the sermon right there because that's just such, man. How often do we in the church forget that? How often do we push the vulnerable to the margins because we don't want to deal with it because it's hard or it's difficult or it's got its challenges because it always has its challenges. But God says, don't forget them. Don't wrongdo them. Don't do any of that. Next slide. In verse 28, though, he also says, don't revile God and don't curse the leaders. So he not only says, treat well the most vulnerable, he also says, treat well the leaders in, the, in your nation. And if I look at Moses, I think, I mean, this has to be a, we know, directly, that repeatedly, over and over and over, Israel has complained against Moses and gone against Moses and Moses this and Moses that. And God says, listen, from the most vulnerable to the leaders, you're going to treat them with honor and respect. Don't you want to be part of a nation who does that? Don't you want to join in and go, that's incredible. They care for each other. They welcome those who are hurting. They honor their leaders. It's a nation that respects and honors each other. It's, it's, it's un, un, unreal. Next slide. The next little section has to do with being a people who not only care for the vulnerable, honor their leaders, but who are thankful in a giving people. And a lot of this goes back to just recognizing even that very first part about surrendering to God and to not having other gods there's a call for them to not delay in giving their offerings it says from the harvest so whenever they harvested it was a it was not only a call to they would bring they were called to bring the first fruits to say God I am honoring you you're the one who has provided this this is critical to God sometimes we kind of well, we shouldn't give money or whatever because the preacher's always trying to get our money. Like, just dumb stuff. That, like, I mean, sometimes that's true, okay? That, uh, so let me say, but, like, we say stuff just to kind of, boop. Yeah, anyone ever do that? Anyone say, just kind of just to not forget about it. But to God, it was, mission, it was mission critical that these people would become a people that said, I honor you, God. And I recognize that what I've received isn't from my own strength. Hard work is a good thing. God encourages it. But ultimately, it was God that would provide. And this was a piece that God had built in a rhythm of them year in, year out. We'll see some, um, some celebrations and festivals at the end of this, at the beginning of the harvest, at the end of the harvest. God had this cyclical reminder built in that he was the God of the harvest. And when it says don't delay, he doesn't just say just do it. He says don't delay. Why, why would he say that? I'm inclined to recognize that as the Levites get instituted and stuff, Oftentimes, their food was based on offerings. You guys read that? Our delay in being generous actually affects other people. Sometimes, our delay, even if we're obedient, eventually, God says, Don't don't delay. Like, recognize that this this is a calling. Be timely. Giving is a vital, important part to God. Your firstborn sons and your daughters you shall give to me. He's not calling for child sacrifice. But if you read later on, your firstborn son or daughter, you were to pay a redemption of price of five, yes, five silver coins. Like this was again a people, God was bringing thankfulness and gratitude as an vitally important part of the people. That when you have sons and daughters, you recognize this is from God, this is a blessing from God. not, it's just, it's just incredible that God calls them to this. Your sheep, your oxen. See, sometimes we read about sheep and oxen and all that stuff, and we're just like, God, I cannot relate. You know, David Brangenberg told me after church one Sunday that he has coveted a donkey before, and he was being serious. And I thought to myself, if there's one person in this sanctuary that might covet a donkey, I might pick that it's David Brangenberg. <laughs> I love David. But oftentimes this seems very foreign to us. But if we could recognize what God is calling them to, it's in every aspect. God's kingdom affects every part of our lives. The income that we receive, the things that we have, and recognizing that all of this comes from God. And then that verse 31, it goes into this um, dietary restriction, but it's kind of the name of my sermon is... uh, a consecrated nation. And it says, you shall be a people consecrated to me. That he is calling Israel to say, hey, you will be different. You are different. You're set apart. Like, in order for people that are walking in darkness to know what light is, you have to be light. Like, in the same way, I mean, Jesus talks about that for us. Like, we, as a people of God, as a people dwelling in the reign and rule of God, we will do things differently. And we're called to. And it's not just go to church on Sundays that's different about us. It's about the way we interact with people. It's about the way we treat the vulnerable. It's about the way we treat our leaders. It's about the hearts of gladness and thanksgiving that we have before God. It's about the way we give to one another and we give to God and we participate. All of this is saying that you are consecrated. You're a people. Next slide. Do a few more here. Let's go to the next one. We see next that God is clearly, and we've talked about this in the Ten Commandments as well, but he is a God of justice. That this nation begins to crumble whenever the justice system is corrupt. And God's saying that there is no place for that in my kingdom. There's no place to bear false witness. There's no place for bribes. He talks about the vulnerability of the poor here, and recognizing that in this system of justice, that's not going to take place. And even now, like we recognize that even in our system of justice, whoever has the most money gets the best lawyers, right? It's, it's the reality. Like God is saying, like we're not taking bribes, we're not we're not <clears throat> um, perverting justice at all in any of this stuff. When it comes to lawsuits, all this, God is a God of justice. In Israel you're called to participate in that. You're called to participate. Sandwiched in the middle of that thought about justice is this idea of how we treat our enemies ox and donkey. Again. I don't know how to relate that. Does anybody have a cat or dog? There we go. Just came. If the dog if you're if your enemy Dog, run- listen, when I, I, I read this and I read this, this is sometimes when we get too familiar, we don't recognize the power of what is being said because Jesus says things like love your enemies, pray for those, persecute you. We hear that all the time. How hard is it to actually love your enemy and to do this thing? Because I'm gonna tell you right now that if I have someone that I just do not like and we kind of go back and forth and their dog runs off, I might be like, well, sucks for them. Or sorry, excuse <laughs> That stinks for them. I mean, sorry. <laughs> Everyone's you laughing because you're realizing that's you know, yeah, serves them right. I wonder what they did. God said that's not what we're gonna do. That we're gonna act justly towards the poor, we're gonna act justly towards the people of Israel, and we're gonna act justly towards the people who we hate the most, who are the or or hate us the most, whatever side is coming from or both sides that if they're your enemy and that runs off, that dog runs off, you go get it and you bring it back. You don't just say, eh, you know. When the donkey is under its burden, you set it free. You help. This is who we are. This is a t- this is a high and difficult calling. Because again, it's so easy to just kind of say, yeah, I would do that. Really? What does this speak to the world though? What does that speak to the world whenever we're taught? Because we... we Sometimes people throw the God of the Old Testament, quote unquote, is this God who just wants to kill everyone and vengeful and all this stuff. He says, take care of your enemy's animal. That is such a misperception of who he is and such a wild mischaracterization. In the midst of this, we see him saying, take care and care for your enemies. Does that mean that God himself does? I say, yeah, that he cares for those who hate him the most. Sometimes whenever we look at our enemies and we go, why would God allow that to happen? Maybe it's just God's grace. Maybe it's God returning that donkey to your enemy, to his enemy. I love him. Another, um, at the end of this little, to verse nine, another reminder about the resident alien. He continues to, to say that over and over. He continues to say that. It's so easy. You know what he doesn't, like we don't even know why the resident aliens are there in the first place. Are they running from oppressive governments? Are they just passing through? What's going on? He doesn't say it matters how they got there. He says it matters what you do now that they're here. And that's a real, that's a real deep call for us, I think. He doesn't go back to that. He says when they're here, this is what's gonna take place for your people. Next section, give to the next slide brings us back to sabbath and i don't want to beat a dead horse let's go to uh yeah yeah that's good um because i've talked about sabbath a lot but i want to reiterate and i'll continue to say because oftentimes repetition is important god built a rhythm of rest into all of creation we see that here because he not only talks to them about the rest that they'll have but that the rest that we are to have he also called Israel to give to their ox and their donkey to give to their homeborn slave to give to their resident alien like this wasn't something where johnny johnny boy sits and rests and watch everyone else works work this is something where god was saying all of israel those who are born israelites those who are there fleeing from oppressive governments or whatever it may be we are going to have a day where we rest and we enjoy what god has given it's sometimes isn't it crazy you have to command things that are beautiful sometimes we have to do that with our kids you're gonna go outside and play i'm making you and you're like it's so beautiful it's awesome but sometimes you just have to go for some reason they can't get it through their heads or recognize the beauty and shoot i'm sure that that happens to me still this day But God had to bring that, and he continues to say that. He continues to say it. And I'll tell you, with this new job I have, man, it is busy. And I am living this right now. I am living the reality of I am, like, I've got to find time to rest. I have got to find day to enjoy the Lord. And it's easier said than done. I I know a lot of you are experiencing that or have experienced that for years. But, again, I believe it is built as a rhythm. So much a rhythm into creation. He actually tells them to every Six year for six years you plant and you harvest, and then the seventh year, what does he tell them to do? Let it rest. Could you imagine that? First of all, that's beautiful. And second of all, it takes a lot of trust in God. Like to rec to, to believe that the years leading up to the year of rest, you're gonna have enough that's stored up. Like, seriously, put yourself there. It'd be like saying you're gonna work for six years and then you're gonna take a year off. And then you take that year off and you're trusting during that year that God has provided enough, you're also going to probably be depleted at the end and you're trusting that the next year is not going to be some famine. Because you know me, that's what I'd be, Matt, me and you are the same with that. We, I'm always thinking ahead, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen that year? Are we are going to be okay? And one of the cool things about it is, is not only is it saying that this is another reason why he's built the rhythm of rest into all of creation, But he also tells us why, one of the reasons why. In verse 11 of 23, he says, But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the wild animals may eat. So not only is this a rhythm of rest and an exercise in trusting God, it's yet again another place where God says, we're going to take care of those who are poor among us. We're not going to forget them. It's funny, oftentimes when we talk about giving, uh, we just go straight to this this thought of the tithe, right? 10%, you know, and people should give, and we have all these debates about it. They gave way more than 10% in the Old Testament. Here's a prime example of it, is that they were to allow their fields, the fields would grow up, and you guys know if you've had a garden, you've had it for years, if you don't do anything, some things will spring up. And when those things spring up, don't go get it. That's not yours. That's for the poor. And what the poor don't take, I actually care about the animals too. Let the animals eat. Man. I just It's just so beautiful to see that care that God has for all of creation and that call for us as the people of God to embody that care for all of creation. I'll end today with, uh, next slide, if you go there, is that God has, three annual festivals that he brings to their mind. I showed this picture. This is, this is Israel. I just thought it would be cool to kind of see an idea of what that could look like in modern times because so many times we look at it as some cartoon thing, you know, back from our felt boards or whatever. But three times a year. And he says this before they even have a Jerusalem or a place to come gather like that. They're already together. He's saying this for future generations that three times a year, they are to celebrate. I almost, you guys remember that Daft Punk song? Gonna celebrate. Don't, 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 don't keep on. Do you guys remember that or no? I almost, yeah, dang it, I should have done it. Sh- Jonah said I could tee it up. But there's this idea that these three times, one was to celebrate, and this was actually said that because God knew in the future they would be a little more scattered, they were to come to Jerusalem. At least minimally, all the men were to come, and to celebrate this. But people would pack up their families, and they would come. They were to celebrate Passover, which was which just says, just take place, just taken place to remind them of the, the Exodus and the and the rescue out of slavery. The other two times were the beginning and the end of harvest, the first fruits, and the Feast of Ingathering, uh, uh, Sukkot. And so to remind and to celebrate, it says, you will observe the festival of harvest, the festival, for, I'm sorry, three times a year, you shall hold a festival for me. I love a God who celebrates and a God who has built in a calendar, a cyclical calendar of reminders. Because goodness, do we need that? I know, I, at least I need it. Every year to remind ourselves that God is the provider, of our first fruits, that, we, that what we have, the very first, comes from God, that when we close the season out, we celebrate that God has been faithful to us. And all through the midst of this, then we're also celebrating the reality that God is a God who is rescuer. And as we celebrate the reality that God is a God who rescues us from slavery, we embody that reality to other people and to the nations and to those who come in and recognize that as we were, others are, and we don't forget where we've come from. Ah, he's awesome. All right, I'm going to pray. Father, I love your word. Um, I love just reflecting on your character and your nature as I read this. Um, and it, it draws me in to just want to embody this with my brothers and sisters. Whenever the psalmist says that your law is perfect and it revives my soul, I feel revive. I feel refreshment when I read through this and I just look at your heart and I look at who you called Israel to be and then I see who you're calling us to be and it's so reviving and it's so refreshing and it's exciting, God. But I know, Lord, that it's, always, it's not always easy and that we have tons of things in our lives that pull at us, whether it's financial strain when we're called to be thankful and to be giving, whether it's, you know, whatever, Lord, whatever it may be. Opportunities to, to make some money, but then realizing that it's the cost of somebody else's vulnerability. There's temptations are there, Lord, they're plentiful, but I pray that we would be a people who embodies your heart, that we would accurately reflect your image and who you are to our neighbors, uh, to our coworkers, that you would help us as a people here reflect and bear your image as a people to this neighborhood and to our city and to Mitchell Nielsen and to the the students who come for inner city and for those who come for the shed or to eat, for those who are coming out of incarceration Lord, I thank you for people like um, Carolyn and Julie who have helped us, help to lead the way um, in that. Thank you. Help us to walk in that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.